Harrison Price for Friday, October 6, 2023. We're coming to you from the Go Goat Sports Studio, built by Arbor Lee here at the Iconic Wall Center, downtown Vancouver. If you're heading to a game down here, make a staycation out of it. Book your stay at the Wall Center, 604-331-1000, or reservations at wallcenter.com. Matt Sikers alongside Blake Price, Grace Asset, and Switches, conducting things this show, a presentation of Applewood Auto Group, where during Applewood's 25th anniversary sale, go on out, get a test drive. Got a chance to win $25,000. See dealer for details there. No charge maintenance package with purchase. Great new deals on Nissan Leafs and Rogues at Applewood Nissan Langley, Applewood Nissan Surrey, Applewood Nissan Richmond. And of course, there's Infinity, the gorgeous QX50, QX60, Lease from 3.99% because Blake Price. It's simply all good at Avalon. Bodog poll question today as we celebrate Stan Smeal's retirement. Do the Canucks currently have a heart and soul player? Yes or no? You can vote at Sikerson Price on Twitter. Bodog, your source, free casino games, poker strategy, and sports odds. Huge Sunday nighter from the Bay Area. And as good as San Francisco has looked, I think the game's more meaningful for Dallas. I think it's time for Dak. Prescott and the Cowboys to make a statement. A larger one than what they made on opening night against a Giants team that we now know not very good. How about them, Cowboys? I'm going to take three and a half on your Bodog line of the day. Final preseason game for the Vancouver Canucks tonight. Anticipate they'll have a roster set ready to go Monday. The NHL season begins Tuesday. The Canucks' first game is Wednesday at home against the Edmonton Oilers. Now, Let's start on the poll question with Stan Smeal before we get into lineup and all that business. Uh, First of all, we've both had personal relationships with Stan going back a number of years here. He is 100% pure class, pure dignity. He's a man of honor. And wish him the best in retirement. He's still going to be there as an ambassador for the club, but not day-to-day. Wish him the absolute best in retirement and congratulate him on a NHL career unlike any other, 45 years with the same franchise, holding just about every position you can. Who could forget his impassioned speech about the Canucks a couple of years ago when he was named interim GM after the firing of Jim Benning? Boss just did. It almost, it's almost odd that we're at this point because... It seemed when he made that impact. Remember, he was he was given a was he given a new title at that point? Well, interim GM. Yeah, I mean, it seemed like wow. After all these years, is is he, he going to be the caretaker for a bit? Here? Yeah. Does he have it's his hands little, on the wheel here? Yeah, and it was a little disingenuous, I it think, was. from ownership yeah. because they knew that Jim Rutherford was coming in. He came in a few days later after a global search. You'll remember, Blake, and that was it. And that was really yeah. all the last we heard of Stan Spiel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and he has been out there and has taken the bullet for a lot of things for the Vancouver Canucks over the years. Sadly, he's been a shield, in mm-hmm. my view, sometimes for ownership, for things like you know, Trevor Linden being estranged for the club. That night they wanted to do all the captains. Anyways, um, the, the guy is just an absolute prince. Anybody who spent any time with Stan will tell you that. It's sometimes difficult to understand the juxtaposition between a guy who was such a rough and tumble character on the ice, very hard hitter, and who could be so gentle and genteel off the ice. Uh, the other thing that folks who covered the Canucks back in the day 
our friends Tony Gallagher, Barry McDonald will tell you, during some very, very lean years for the Vancouver Canucks, Stan Smeal was there at his locker post-game, day after day, night after night, ready to take the questions, ready to be the spokesperson, the mouthpiece. When, let's face it, um, there were a lot of difficult questions when there was a lot of questions coming off of a loss. A lot of bad or boring nights. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's great that they had the run that they did because without it, all of Stan Smith's hard work would really not have a a crescendo moment. But he's got that to hang his hat on, that the blood, sweat, and tears that he poured out every night at least had an end game for one season, if not to hoist the chalice to make yeah. it awfully close. Well, and I think... You know, now on a go forward basis, you know, we hear this a lot from listeners. Boy, I just want them to win a Stanley Cup in my lifetime. Please let them win a Stanley Cup in Stan Smeal's lifetime. Yeah, that'd be nice. Please let me see a photo of Stan Smeal with a Stanley Cup that has Vancouver Canucks etched onto it. You can bet he didn't bite it down on the ice oh, for that. Oh, well, yeah. and uh, he'll be in the parade for yes. sure. Yeah. Of course, he tells some great stories about a young Trevor Linden driving him to practice in a sports car. (laughs) In fact, Stan has all sorts of fantastic stories. So our best to Steamer and the Smeal family as he moves into a uh, ambassadorial role with the Vancouver Canucks. Did you guys think the timing was a bit, I don't want to say odd, but when I first saw it, it was like, how come this wasn't at the start of the year? Did maybe he just got into the motion of things and said, you know what, no, it's, it's not going to work? So I, I, I believe this decision was made some time ago. We heard about this Stan. 18 months ago, really. Uh, yeah. yeah, maybe not that long. But I think I, so. Really? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I sort of knew after Rutherford and Alvin came in, and then, of course, he lost his beloved wife, Jennifer. Yeah. And that took quite a toll, as you can imagine. So I sort of knew this was coming in terms of the timing of the announcement yesterday. Well, I mean, you got a preseason game here tonight. You've got the you know buzz of a new season starting. So I wouldn't be at all surprised if this was you know Stan Smeal saying, "Look, don't want to distract from everything that's going to come up next week," because certainly wasn't a guy who was about me. Yeah. He was a guy who was about we. I had sort of forgotten. That we had talked about, you know, if not on the show, certainly mm-hmm. off air, about Stan moving on sometime soon. But that was mm-hmm. a long time ago, and it sort of got put on the back burner and had sort of forgotten about it until I saw them more. Oh, that never actually mm-hmm. ended up being announced or happening. And and here it is. And you know what? Uh, after all these years, God, five, over, almost five decades with the team. Uh, some true R and R, and again, he'll be around. He'll be mm-hmm. an ambassador, ambassador, similar to what you see Kirk McLean do, that sort of thing. Um, but he'll get a lot more time yeah. to enjoy life, and uh, it's it's what he deserves. Yeah. As for the poll question, look, they have more skilled players than Stan Smeal. They have louder players than Stan Smeal. JT Miller, yeah. And as loud as Stan's game was on the ice, he was a pretty, he's a pretty quiet fellow. That's right. But I'm not necessarily sure they have a heart and soul player who bleeds the colors like Stan. I think GT Miller is going to get a lot of votes on this or get a lot mm-hmm. of uh, yep. you know nominations, if you will, to yes or no answer. I think Quinn Hughes but, will as well. Yeah, potentially. Yeah, it's a little bit different these days. Pro sports has become such a business 
that the players tend to lean a little bit more towards mercenary because they know. It's not entirely on them. They know, hey, when I'm no good, this team's going to spit me out. Mm -hmm. So it's become a little bit more of a business ethos and ethic that has sort of governed player club relations. As we also see, there are certain players that look around and go, I can't win here. I want to get out. You know, that wasn't really the case back in Stan's era. You got drafted by a team. They held your rights for eternity, it seemed. And so you became a part of the, you know, the family, if you will. Mm -hmm. We wouldn't have asked this question if Bo Horvat was here. I think that would have been evident yep. from Bo Horvat. Yep. As we know, Bo was a bit of a throwback, an old soul. and Yeah. Like Bo Horvat playing alongside Stan Smeal. Yeah, you can see that. Oh, absolutely. Um, as, you, as you predict, and you very well might be right, Quinn Hughes, um, I think, wants to be that player. Mm -hmm. Whether or not it just comes naturally to him, I think we're going to find out uh, this season. But he very well could end up being yeah. that guy. Like I think JT Miller's a heart and soul player for the dressing room, but I don't think he's sort of a heart and soul guy. Team colors. For the organization, yeah. in the community, and all the things that Stan was. Yeah. And is. I, I think you could even parse it a little bit on the ice and just say being loud and passionate doesn't mean heart and soul. Like you could even, I think you can splice it that thinly that those are still two different things. Like well, what's, heart what's, and soul requires back checking. Like, but but Ryan Kessler, I wouldn't have described Ryan Kessler as necessarily a heart and soul player, despite him bringing a lot of the attributes that a heart and soul player would play with. You I don't think in 2011? It, I would sort of characterize it like I do with Miller. He's heart and soul for that room, sure. Yeah. But not more broadly. Sorry, Grady? We saw a lot of heart and soul out of him in the Nashville series in 2011. Put the team well, we, on his back, and then he played through the injuries, yep. gave it all. Yep. Yeah. I would I would classify yeah. him as a heart and soul guy. Now I know yep. the end with the attitude and the way things. Well, they're they're in line. That's where it, called yeah. onto the carpet by the league several times for diving. Yeah, you know, like that, like that, that was a stain on on Ryan Kessler. You yeah. know, um, you know, you wouldn't think that you'd get that sort of treatment of a Bull Horvat or a Stan Smeal kind of guy. Yeah, I think that's fair. I answer no on the poll question. Do they have currently have a heart and soul player? Uh, my answer is no, but I'm going to qualify it with this. The, that guy might be there. We just haven't seen it yet. Yeah, it's possible. We haven't seen the performance yet. The other thing yet. Is, is, you know, I think this question also speaks to identity. Do the Canucks have a team identity? I would yeah. say no. Yeah, you're, no, you're right. That's that's what we're waiting for. We're I, waiting I for this Rick group Tockett to define what they look to, like. Yes, I think Rick Tockett wants to establish one, but I don't think it's there yet. And frankly, I think it's because in a lot of cases, the personnel isn't quite there yet. Which brings us to tonight's lineup. Mm -hmm. And look, after indicating, signaling that they wanted no part of loading up a top pair of Quinn Hughes and Philip Ronick, their best lefty and righty defensemen, that's how they're lined up today at Morning Skate and how we anticipate they will play it tonight against Calgary in the preseason finale. And I don't want to hear any of the, ah, smokescreen from Tockett. Ah, kept his cards close to his vest. He was always planning this. Oh, that committee talk was just a way of shielding what the true intentions were. I think this smacks of desperation. I think this is a head coach going, I don't think any of these guys can play the right side beside Quinn. Except for? Except for Philip Rona. Mm. That's my interpretation. Yep. Cole Myers, Susie Juleson, and frankly, I could see that on opening night. Well, Lannon and McWard are the spared defensemen. 
I don't begrudge this defensive no. setup. Here's what I'll say. I would have liked to have seen it one other time. I was just going to say, if this is going to be the real, you haven't given them a lot of opportunity yeah. together like this. Secondarily, if you're going to do this tonight, mm-hmm. I sure as hell want to see this on opening night. Like, don't, don't, don't play them like this tonight and go, oh, it didn't work. I'm going to change. This is a preseason game. Whatever yep. you're seeing has the preseason haze over it. Right. This is probably your safest bet for a top four, yeah. or a true top four. So if you're going to go this route, go this route. Don't just pull the wow. shoot on it after tonight. And you could say tonight is, you know, today the final preseason game is not a time for experimentation. No. And yet that's what this sort of is, given how little yeah. you have shown this. And it's not just the defense pairings. Kuzmenko, Pedersen, and Garland? Yeah. PDG, Miller, Besser, that is something I think we've known for some time now. But then Suter, Joshua, and Beauvillier with Bluger centering Oman and Studnik and Nils Hoaglander as the spare forward again. I, th- I that's think we're talking is very scared about two small guys and Suter and Garland being beside each other. But he's got Beauvillier as a small guy. Beside he's smaller, but he's not as small as Garland, obviously. Yeah. So and he's you know he's he's a, a tenacious competitor. So mm-hmm. I think it, it makes that third line just a little bit more plucky. Um. Yeah, it's, it's, there's a, a spreading of the wealth, I think, to some degree there. We'll see what that looks like. It doesn't look like Nils Hoaglander will play in this final tune-up. No. We'll put this to Frank Saravelli later in the show, but do you think there's any chance of an Elias Patterson extension on the eve of a season? Both sides look at it and go, you know what, we really don't want this lingering. I know we say it's not going to be a distraction, but it could very well be a distraction either for the player personally or because the club starts losing, and then the next thing you know, we're swirled with Elias Pettersson rumors, this, that, and the other thing. I think it behooves both sides to do it because I do think Elias Pettersson and his camp can look at the Canucks and say, you know the cap is going up. We all know the cap is going up. We all know that you got money coming off the books finally and are in a better cap place. So let's go ahead and get the deal done. You know, pay us what you would pay us if he goes out and has another 100 point season. And frankly, for the Vancouver Canucks, I don't necessarily have to see another 100 point season. I know this guy is elite. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, don't terribly disagree there. Mm-hmm. Especially with the news of the expected number going up with the cap. Yeah. And I, as we discussed yesterday, like, the Canucks already knew this. Camp right, Pedersen already knew this. Yeah, the promise you know, to wait, though, just a, the, the promise to wait is not legally binding. They can still strike a deal whenever because the feeling has moved them. So I'm not expecting it, but would I be surprised if it happened? Not terribly. Yeah, um, I mean, the start of the season can work like an effective deadline for both sides. Yeah. You know, and Elias saying, I want to get out to a good start to the season. Well, as we said at the time, you know, typically one, players want contract resolution to be able to get off to a good start, not contract uncertainty. So, look, I wouldn't be surprised either. Again, I think both sides have an interest in doing this, uh, unless Elias just doesn't want to commit because he just doesn't believe in the organization, which is an opinion that is completely fair given what he has seen firsthand through his National Hockey League career to date. If you're, just think if you're the Canucks and you, you've you been told, okay, we, we're going to wait on this. Why would you listen to that? Like, why, like, they may not, again, they're not calling Elias Pettersson. They're not bugging the player who's got the boots on the ground. They're calling the, the agent. 
if I'm Patrick Alvin and Jim Rutherford, I would still be calling that agent regularly for a lay of the land. Where is it? Where are the head at? How about this? Would this work? How about this? Would this exactly. work? Agent can choose whether or not to bring that to the client. Well, they're usually bound to have to bring it to the client if it's you know a new. Unless Leah says, offer. "Don't bring, don't bring it to me unless kicking, it's yeah, exactly. Don't if bring you're it to just me unless kicking it's around ideas." Because I think the other thing that does is that lets the agent know, "Gosh, these guys are really anxious to do a deal, really serious about all this." So we'll see what the next few days bring, and of course, we'll see what the Vancouver Canucks opening night lineup is going to look like. Thanksgiving Day weekend, long weekend. Here's the thing: we're gonna we're gonna do a show Monday. We got a ton of news here potentially with the Canucks, Lions, and Whitecaps. So we hope you have a fantastic long weekend, and you can tune in to secure some price on Monday when you're having Thanksgiving dinner. There's no better way to invigorate yourself with your family by playing that podcast loud on the table, right next to the cranberry sauce. Can you imagine a better background? A better background while you prepare Thanksgiving dinner than listening to some Canucks talk. Yeah, that day, so settling, and we'll, we'll promise to be a little bit rosy and upbeat as we so, prognosticate the season. Are you participating in the making of the Thanksgiving meal? Uh, quality checking, yes. Ah, okay. Yeah. Quality, quality check control. Yeah, yeah, well yeah. done. Well done. Kind of like what you do on this show. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Keeping you in line. Yes. Something like that. Uh, Jeff Patterson is going to join us later, and if you missed the news yesterday, Jeff has signed up for a third tour of duty with Canucks Army. <laughs> we're writing a weekly column over there for David Quadrelli and our friends. And the other thing that I seem that seems to be uh, ubiquitous on my timeline these days is Canucks prospects performing well in the early going of the season. We had talked about Elias Patterson, the defenseman, EPD. Had an assist in his debut with the Vastras Club in the Alsvenskan. Was two? Oh, two. Yes, yeah. you're right. Hunter Brestevich got five assists already on the year in the OHL. Kudry Afsev had scored in every game except one. Ty Young winning games up there for the Prince George Cougars. And LaCara Mackey scoring in the Swedish League. In fact, uh, scoring more than anybody in the U24 category. So... Lots of good things happening for Canucks prospects spread across the hockey playing world. Depth of the system is uh, the getting depth better of the here. system is absolutely getting better. Yeah, it, it, it's did. just the NHL, and that's why, and particularly given the history here, not only of this management group but of ownerships and patience, you do wonder if Rick Tockett feels like he absolutely can't go forward with this defense group that they absolutely need another bona fide NHL defenseman. Blake, I would not be surprised if the Canucks swung a trade this weekend. I have a feeling that uh, Tockett and the way he has managed this defense group is somewhat a message to upper management that, guys, this ain't it. Need another righty. Very hard commodity to get on the yeah, NHL that's the market. Thing. Easier said than done. But if you were telling me this Canucks would be willing to reach into the future and sacrifice some pieces to fix the now, would not be at all surprised we have seen that in the past. You know, Dolly Wall was saying they're looking to make a trade. Look, a lot of teams are looking to make a trade at this time of year for 
and particularly this year for cap reasons, like the Senators still want to unload a contract to get a player signed. There are a number of other teams that are looking at a roster delineation of 20, 21 skaters who are going, God, if we could just move a contract, we could keep 23. Wouldn't have to expose more guys to waivers. Could be a very juicy waiver wire over the course of the weekend, but I wouldn't be surprised. We saw last year with the uh, Riley Stillman, Jason Dickinson trade. I wouldn't be surprised if the Canucks get active this weekend. Comes on a day when the waiver wire has names of Canucks prospects in the past that, um, well, just didn't pan out. Who's on there? Brandon Gauntz. Oh. Uh, Will Lockwood is on waivers. Oh, no. Brogan Rafferty is on waivers. Yeah. I mean, we've had a decade here, Blake, of the Canucks and ex-Canucks populating the waiver wire, which probably says something. Yeah. Yeah. About the quality, but uh, but again, the, I'll say this for a team thousand that has been as bad as them, it's been really surprising to see the number of guys claimed from this team. Whether you're talking about Zach McEwen or Jonah Gadjevich or Spencer Martin, if you've got a thousand prospects, you don't care if a bunch of them don't pan out because probably some of them will. Um, so the more, the merrier. Um, we'll see if the uh, the ones that are performing well can avoid the waiver wire in years to come. The big one tonight at BC Place, Lions versus Bombers, two 11-4 clubs. The winner takes a huge step towards first place in the West Division and hosting the West Final, which comes with a first-round bye in the Canadian Football League playoffs. They have opened up her bowl seating for your purchase. I mean, I suspect they're going to do a crowd of 25 or so anyway. So it should be a great night at BC Place in terms of atmosphere. They're calling it the Gravy Bowl. Whoever wins this game will be one win or the other's loss away from clinching the West. BC goes at Hamilton and then comes home to play Calgary in the two remaining games after this one. Winnipeg hosts Edmonton, then goes at Calgary. You got the 17 and under $10 tickets that are going on here. There's a backyard party on the Terry Fox Plaza. It's going to get going at 4 p.m. And in fact, an expanded capacity at the Terry Fox Plaza, 1,500 now. And the University of Washington Husky Marching Band to perform at Mm. halftime. They have always been quite popular in the past. Now, they can't perform during play to disrupt Zach Caleros, but... um, Mm -hmm. You're on the sidelines tonight. I, I want to talk about how noisy it is and how it's a playoff atmosphere. So if you could all buy tickets and show up and be loud, then it'll yeah. it'll add credence to my claim. So, Well, because one of the interesting things is it has come to our attention, and this may have to do a little bit about the spaciousness of BC Place as well, but it's not exactly been an environment where opposing quarterbacks and offensive line have had to worry too much about no. the noise and silent counts or anything like that no and that, that, even in gray cup games with fifty thousand, albeit they tend not to be they tend to be a less road partisan yeah. crowd right um yeah and that was the thing trust me as a bomber fan back in the day when i was in winnipeg we were scared shitless to come to bc place oh. it's, it's anarchy you can't hear anything oh, absolutely with the, when when the old closed roof, yeah, and forty fifty thousand in there, absolutely. So you know, if 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 the I don't think it'll quite get to that because they're not going to put fifty in there. But hmm. um, if you can get to thirty, thirty's pretty loud. Yeah. 
30 is pretty loud. It's the sort of stuff that opposing offenses haven't had to deal with that BC plays. Yeah. Maybe outside of these two last two home openers that have done, you know, 32, 33,000 and last year's playoff game against the Stampeders. So, yeah, that'll be interesting to see if the crowd, it's such a big storyline every time a visiting team goes down to Seattle, right? Yeah. Like they just, they pride themselves on all the false start penalties and all that. We'll see if the Lions can get that degree. Calero said he's never had to do silent count, ever, in the CFO. Yeah. Um, but they practiced it this week just in case. They're, wow. They weren't sure. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. NFL football, where Abbotsford's Chase Claypool is on the move. And boy, what a setup for him. Chicago Bears trade Claypool to the Miami Dolphins for a pick swap in 2025. And this coming after a blowout victory of the Washington Commanders last night where Claypool did not play for a second straight week. And for a second straight week, the Bears passing game finally looked good. Here's why I love the the trade for Chase. You're going to an organization with a really good quarterback. Juggernaut offense. A really good offensive mind, head coach. Plus their two receivers are itty-bitty. Tyreek Hill and and Waddle are not exactly go on up and get the football, high point it. Post up, jump ball in the red zone. Chase is borderline tight end kind of size. Well, really yeah, is. Yeah, so it works. So it's a really good buy low investment from the Miami Dolphins here to pair a different breed of receiver with the guys that they have. Um, the Bears just wanted no part of him after he told the media a couple weeks ago that the coaching staff isn't using him properly. And quite frankly, he hasn't been missed the last couple of weeks. Hopefully it works out. Hopefully Chase has got his head screwed on, and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, hopefully it works out. And for everybody who is asking, I have refined my position of we're on to Caleb Williams. Oh, and oh. I'll be making no further comments. Man, this is a roller coaster of Bears emotion. From I mean, this guy. I'm just looking at it now, wondering, you know, twelve and five, thirteen and four. If- that's still a thing. New hot takes published every day. Did we see DJ Moore 200-plus yards receiving? Flip, flop. Yeah. And, of course, you knew they were not losing on the day that we lost Dick Butkus. There might have been a, a pretty good pregame speech, I would think. You One would think. Give some pride to the emblem. And, and with all due respect, you know, to the great middle linebackers of all time, either of you know the old era, Lanier and Nitschke, or the new era with Lewis and Erlach or Seau, whomever, there was Dick Butkus, then there was every other middle linebacker. He personified the position in ways that nobody could. Um, and people don't realize, 6'3", 245, in the mid-60s, and could run, could cover, the NFL really hadn't seen a linebacker like that when Butkus came out. You didn't even mention Singletary. Illinois. Well, I mean, love Mike. And the other thing about Butkus, he became one of the first real sports endorsers alongside Arnold Palmer, really, in the 60s and 70s, where he became synonymous as a pitchman. He did a Prestone antifreeze spot for a Super Bowl, Blake, that really started getting the Super Bowl commercials going that t- companies would go out and do a specific yeah. special spot and try and get a big-time celebrity or athlete endorser to uh, pitch and shill for their product at the Super Bowl, specifically for the Super Bowl. Of course, he had a career Butkus did after football as a 
you know, an actor and was in a number of uh, movies and series over the years. Yeah, anyway. why, why did the 70s and 80s football players decide they were actors as well? It's incredible. I, I mean, how many of them? We were going through the list, like Jim Brown and Thomas Hollywood Henderson and Dick Butkus. Bubba Smith. Bubba Smith, like on and on the OJ, list. OJ, of course. On and on the <laughs> list goes of, of football players from that era that just seemingly – Move seamlessly into you know bit parts. Let's face yes, it; they were never yeah, lead no. actors, but bit parts, and also, you know the, uh, you know the Miller Lite commercials and everything. How many times have you watched the Chicago Bears Super Bowl Shuffle from the eighties? Well, I mean, more than a few times. But hmm. the other thing, just last word on Buckus. They come back from a break last night, and they have a quad screen with four different Bears fans in the Washington Stadium wearing number 51 jerseys. And I was thinking, is there a player who's been retired for 50 years where the broadcaster in the visiting stadium could find four of his jerseys? <laughs> really? Yeah. There's not many, no. right? So, anyways. You say not leading actors. <laughs> Are you denigrating the fabulous turn as the dad in Webster of Alex Karras? And Fred Hunter as well, right? Fred Hunter. Oh, sorry, Fred. Um, the show is Hunter. Um, oh, that rings Fred, a bell. Um, it's on the tip of my tongue. Fred Dreyer. Dreyer. That's it. Yeah. So, yes. Again, they're put, put me on easy nose. There were NFL players from the 60s and 70s that went on. And became lead actors on top In of horrific big shows. <laughs> Does Terry Crews count in a modern yeah, capacity? Yeah, yeah, yeah. His game's more played supporting. Called. His game's played yeah, too. More supporting. How about this? I have good news and bad news for the Price family with regards to um, watching NFL football, but really just peering in on the life of Taylor mm. Swift. The NFL pushed its TV partners this week, Blake, to run free Taylor Swift movie promos. Oh, for the Arrows uh, movie? Yeah. NBC and ESPN actually did it. And there's some marketing and sports business executives that think this is an effort to try and get Taylor Swift to do Super Bowl halftime, which she apparently hasn't had much interest in doing previously. I believe it's going to be Usher this Usher year. this year, yeah. Okay. And all of this comes in the same week where the NFL had to put out a statement regarding the number of social media posts on its accounts that dealt with Taylor Swift. Apparently, football fans were like, I follow the NFL to follow NFL and football players and their stories and teams. And my timeline is filled with Taylor Swift. What's going on here, NFL? whose statement said they, quote, leaned in to a pop culture moment. But even Travis Kelsey on his podcast this week said it's overdoing it a little. His mother, Donna, gave a very coolish response on, on a morning show, show yeah. about, oh, what was it like to spend the day? It was okay, she said. I extracted very little of Zach Caleros, who's a college buddy of Kelsey and they All still huge buddies, University of Cincinnati. Yeah, in fact, he was uh, name dropped on the podcast this week by the Kelseys. Um, and he said, Yeah, I think it's gonna be a lot. I think it's gonna be a lot for Travis. The other theory 
Now, look, this will be the true test of Taylor's football fandom and relationship with Travis Kelsey because it's one thing to go to his home stadium for a game. It's another thing to go to New York City. Yeah. They're in Minnesota this week, really. Whoever cool wants to be in Minneapolis. Yeah. So we'll see if she's there this week. Some speculate that the NFL really wants this to happen for a couple more weeks because... <laughs> And that them cheering on no, a human relationship no, here, for here's two why. weeks because UK media can't get enough of it, right. and they've got games in London here again this week, Jacksonville and Buffalo. Well, it's funny you bring that up. It has pushed forward their cause with the British press and, and with British uh, social platforms that otherwise had started to get a little bit coolish on the London NFL series. They're like, okay, another one, Buffalo and Jacksonville. All right. But now it's Taylor Swift associated with the league. But uh, it's it's unbelievable timing given the Beckham documentary that we talked about a little bit yesterday. I mean, all of this stuff was happening with Beckham and Victoria Adams of the Spice Girls. Like yep. it's the same. It was the same kind of hysteria oh. crashing together two of the biggest names from different universes. And what happens? And, and they Correct. deal with all that. Like that, those are the quotes of like, you know, media's minds were blowing up because world, huge worlds were colliding together, and that's what's happening here. Yes. And then lastly, I saw this headline from, uh, I believe it was Deadspin. Remember them? Yeah. But but it was a good one. Is Taylor Swift the first woman the NFL has ever prioritized? <laughs> yeah, that's a good statement. Yeah. I mean, it's not long ago we yeah. were talking about how the NFL has a problem with women. Yeah. Because of domestic abuse. Domestic right abuse and yeah. very light penalties in a lot of cases. You yeah. can think back to the Ray Rice yeah, assault. In it. So we'll see where this goes. I, I, I suspect the NFL's social channels will probably tone it down a little bit on Taylor. But if the UK wants to go bananas with, you know, Taylor this, Taylor oh, there's that. There's so much we can do. I'm yes. sure they're okay with that. Is the UK media um, aggressive in any yeah, way? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. A little bit. What can you tell me about the Caps lineup tomorrow in Seattle for the huge one against their Cascadia rivals? Again, a white Caps win tomorrow could get them into second place in the MLS West. We'll see how other things fall. But a win tomorrow gives them a huge step up towards home field advantage in the first round of the MLS playoffs, which they've already clinched. Well, they reel in Seattle at the very least. You'd have to see what Salt Lake and LAFC do as well. But yeah, they re they at least climb one rung with uh, and they climb into the top four home field advantage in the first round with a win as well. And that would then just come down to decision day. Um, I, w I mean, no Andres Kubas. I think we all knew that based on the severity yeah. of the injury. Um, so now you're crossing your fingers for LAFC or at the very least the playoffs for him. But Burhalter's uh, very good, obviously. I would guess we see a little bit of a different starting lineup. Atacubi and Hoyle both look good in, in relief. I, I would bet they draw in as, as hmm. members of the starting 11, and then a few other pieces yeah. might fall in. And um, from Seattle, do you know if they've got best 11 capacity here uh, health-wise and all that? Uh, yeah, I don't. I have not yet peeked into uh, their world and to who's okay. available. Um, but I, I There was a while there were kind of a middling Caps organization. Got some good wins down in Seattle. and then well, they're, it, they're still then, pretty competitive. Yeah. They're still pretty competitive. And then from time to time, it got a little bit dicey down in the Emerald City. Let's get to today's menu. It's brought to you by AG1. And uh, hey, we should get some of the athletes in uh, town onto AG1 so they get that extra little uh, jump in their step, especially with the two occupants of BC Play Stadium. 
uh, you know, heading towards the playoffs, what they should do, go to drinkag1.com slash Sikaris and Price and get a special offer. Big show coming up. Frank Saravelli will join Jeff Patterson as the Canucks wind up preseason. We'll get to some hashtags, the best and worst of Twitter. Stanley Cup awarded on June 24th. Are you kidding me? And another edition of S versus P. No matter what you're buying, folks, when you're out in the world looking for this, that, and the other, I think you want to support businesses that you feel good about supporting. You can feel good about supporting the Applewood Auto Group. Uh, They've made the car business and communities around them a whole lot better with their work in the community. Go and find out why it is indeed all good at Applewood. Visit them online anytime at applewood.ca. Happy Hour brought to you by Yellow Dog Brewing Neighborhood Brewing Workshop Spirits. And the weather's getting a little cooler, but we're still pretending we're thriving in the summer. That's summer heat with Workshop Spirits. Ombre margarita. Hi there, hard lemon iced tea. And hi there, hard peach iced tea. We'll keep you feeling tropical all year long. End of the workday. Treat yourself to a Yellow Dog Neighborhood or Workshop Spirit. Harrison Price from Wall Center presentation, Applewood Auto Group. A little bit of a bonus summer here, if you hadn't noticed. Decent day today, supposed to be decent tomorrow as well. You know what's good for that? Driving. So head down to the Richmond Auto Mall, say. You can hit up Applewood Mitsubishi, Applewood Nissan, right side by each. And pick up a car that is fun to drive on a day like today. At the very least, take one for a test drive. The Outlander from Mitsubishi, a fabulous choice. Plug-in hybrid, still yet to hit a city gas station since I got the vehicle. It's absolutely fabulous. The power mode will keep you with a smile on your face as well. It's all good at Applewood. Bulldog poll question. As we celebrate Stan Smeal's retirement, do the Canucks currently have a heart and soul player? Vote, yes or no, at Sakarison Price on Twitter. Bodog, your source, free casino games, poker strategy, and sports odds. And I'm going to baseball for the Bodog line of the day. I just think Minnesota's a flawed team. Houston has that great rotation, all that postseason experience. I have a feeling Twins are just happy to break the 18-game postseason losing streak and be in the DS. So I'm going to take Houston, minus 162, to win the series on your Bodog line of the day. Joined by NHL insider Frank Saravelli from the Frankly Speaking podcast and Daily Faceoff. Um, Frank, last weekend before rosters are set here, some local scuttlebutt about Canucks looking to make a trade. What are you hearing? Yeah, I think the Canucks have been working for a few weeks to try and move a contract or two if they can. Um, not really breaking news there. Um, so they're going to keep trying to tweak. Every team this week, there's lots of eyes on the goaltending waiver wire for one, uh, which the Canucks already got their business done with Spencer Martin. We knew that was coming. Uh, we talked about that when I was in studio with you guys in van. And now it's, you know, really trying to make the last few tweaks to your roster that you can. So Vancouver is just one of most of the league that's trying to do that. And, and just to clarify, that's for salary cap room, a little bit of room, or is it to trim down 50? Yeah, I think flexibility yeah. would be... The name, yeah. the buzzword. Well, yeah, that could be the difference between 23 and 22 players um, when they set the opening roster on Monday. Who's most out- active out there, Frank? What what team are you hearing a lot from? 
or hearing a lot about right now? I think it's the teams that are looking for goalies. Uh, That would include the Tampa Bay Lightning trying to find someone to tide them over until Andre Vasilevsky can be back. The Colorado Avalanche, no Pavel Francouz is going to be out for a period of time. And Georgiev played the bulk of the work last year, 60-plus games, uh, 40 wins, actually. Had a great year for the Avs, but that's a lot to ask, and especially when you know going in that Francouz is already hurt. So the problem for both of those teams is they don't really want to spend a lot because they know those guys are going to be coming back, and cap space is an issue. So you go through the waiver wire, it's actually kind of fascinating to see some of the names that have been out there or will be out there, should be out there in the next five days. Alex Lyon got the Panthers to the playoffs last year. Martin Jones played 48 games for the Kraken. Caden Primo is, is an up-and-comer out of Montreal. And Uko Pekalukinen is an interesting mm-hmm. name out of Buffalo, although the Sabres might go with three goalies. So that's one thing that I'm really keying in on over the next five days. Teams have decisions to make, and it's not going to be easy. I've been advocating for a while teams should be able to carry three is there been without cap has there been a more fascinating um development over the last five years than just our treatment of goalies and how much they're worth under the cap uh how much you know uh workload i mean it just seems like it's an ever-changing focus on w- how to run the goaltending position and so volatile yeah, on the trade market yeah. for goalies yeah. well volatile in their play yeah, too. yes like, that's part of the reason like for watching, it yeah uh, it's like watching Bitcoin. Like it's all over. <laughs> That's the place. right. That's right. Uh, but are are as you said it, I was thinking to myself: Are goalies the new running backs? Yeah, yeah, I could see the comparison. Like, still critical to your team and success. And I, and you could argue, you know, this sport should be changed from hockey to goalie because you can't win without one. But the way that year in and year out, you have basically outside of. I'd say six to seven guys in the league, and I would include Demko in this category. You have no idea what you're going to get outside of those guys. Is the lesson don't fall in love with your goalie? Is that the lesson? I would, uh, yeah. The first thing, and when you think, when when I hear you say love, the first thing I equate that to is term. Yes. Don't, don't get yourself in a situation where you're signing anyone outside of those guys for more than three yeah. years because you just don't know. And then there's the health part of it. And then, and then it's also, you know, what we haven't figured out analytics wise is what's the impact of the team in front of you. No one's really been able to nail that down just yet and, and really isolate a goalie outside of his system. Maybe that's why Vegas, maybe they could have just turned around this summer and let Aiden Hill walk. Honestly. Yeah. I think anyone would be good in that crease. And I'm not knocking him or taking him down a peg from what he accomplished last year. Yeah, no, honestly. He didn't even get the first eight wins of the playoffs for them. Honestly, outside of Andre Vasilevsky, is there a goaltender who, like, for five consecutive years has been the man? Like, even yeah. guys like Hellebuck have off seasons. It's a great point, Frank. Five days left. So, who, wait, do you want to know who I include? Yeah, in sure. Who's sure, yeah. in your six or seven? Rokin, Shesterkin, mm-hmm. Hellebuck, Vasilevsky, Demko. And that's kind of it. Yeah. And I'm not pandering to your market. I told you before how much I like Demko, and he is my Vezina pick this year. Five days left before the start of the season, and the commissioner got a little bit more detailed in terms of the salary cap for next year. Frank, I think we always knew this, but maybe it gave some NHL teams a little bit mis- uh, a little bit more security. Hearing Bettman talk about $87 to $88 million for next year. 
Have you heard anything with the Canucks and Elias Patterson? Does it behoove them to take a last stab here to try and get an extension done with Elias before the season starts? Well, I think it would behoove the Canucks. It would be really smart business to get it done because I think in the long run, it's only going to end up costing you more. And that's really kind of the short-sighted way I think about how teams do business. The worst case scenario, or or I, let me take it a step back. The best case scenario for the Canucks is Pedersen has the, you know, a season where you basically just offer him the same of sort of where you thought he might be right now. And that it's probably not going to dip below that. So I think the number's only going up, but I will say that I don't think there's any correlation between this salary cap number getting projection being announced and the Canucks trying to take another swing because teams already knew that there's, it's basically a formula right now, 5% off of this year's cap. That's what gets added on. So it brings you to 87.6. It could always be negotiated for more. And in fact, it should be negotiated for more. It's why I think the NHL failed last summer in, in not getting an increase negotiated now because you know that that 5% is based off of that number. So uh, there was a way to do it and accomplish it. That's a story for another day. But with the Canucks and Pedersen, I would say, take your best shot. But unless you really are bringing to the table what something that you think will be palatable for him, you have a chance of, of making him a little bit more upset, for one. And two, um, why, like, why wouldn't you? Take, taking... Uh the acts of God out of the equation, pandemics and natural disasters. Is there any doomsday scenario for the salary cap? I mean, the escrow thing seems to be, you know, clearing up a little bit. The money's owed to the, the players. Is there any way that the salary cap doesn't go up to what it is? And you talked about the equation already, but is there is there any hidden cost that can come out of left field that we're not thinking about? No, there could be a, a slight decrease in revenue because of some regional TV deals, but even that, it's probably all that would do is eat into a, a, a significant revenue increase because they're still going to be generating more elsewhere, which is kind of why it cracks me up that the NHL always touts like record revenue. Like all you needed to do is wake one more dollar than last right. year and you have a new record. But if we were to actually with where revenue is right now, if you were to like go back to the old system pre-pandemic at six and some billion dollars, the cap for this season should have actually been somewhere around 92 or 93. So it's artificially low as they're still paying this back, but that debt's going to be paid off in the first, you know, two weeks of the season. Like it's, it's $50 million, not much. So um, they're going to be in fine shape moving forward. The question is how can you find a way to smooth out the increase so that you're not handing GMs if you're an owner HGM an $8 million windfall yes. to be spent next summer. Although looking at the free agent class might actually be a pretty good summer to do it. Hey, we follow, uh, we see Alan Walsh tweeting about this from time to time and we see what's happened in the other sports. How much um, disappointment, how much frustration do you think there is there with the agent and player community that the NHL revenues post pandemic haven't sort of increased uh, as much as the other sports where NHL players are effectively still in the same neighborhood they were five years ago salary-wise, whereas other sports have seen these exponential salary growth, has seen exponential salary growth for star players. Yeah, so I uh, follow Cap Friendly really closely, and they created a new basketball version. It's called Salary Swish. 
I don't know if you guys have been on there, but to Seen see it. the NBA salaries that Steph Curry is at $478 million in career earnings, the most an NHL player has made all time in his career is like $128 million. Sidney Crosby, I think, maybe this season is set to become the highest paid NHL player in career earnings ever. That's like someone's getting $56 million this year in the NBA for one season. <laughs> it's it's bananas to see how different it is. The 10th guy in the lineup is getting somewhere between 4 and $6 million a year, which would make you one of the higher paid guys on your team in the NHL. Sadly for the NHL, it's all coming back to eyeballs and interest. And every time that you know the league seems to be happy about a 900,000 audience on a national TV game in the US, I'm like, guys, like WNBA is getting 2.3, 2.5 million viewers a game. Like we're lagging way behind in terms of the interest south of the border. Like it, love it, hate it. In the U.S., it's still a niche sport, and it's still 25 out of 32 teams play south of the border. So, you know, until you find a way to really change how this sport is consumed, how it's viewed, how many people are playing it, the barriers to entry are still way too big. So you can bellyache and complain all you want. Uh, the players have been um, in a tough spot the last few years with the salary cap, and it's it's – a system that decidedly works against them. It's brilliant for owners. Uh, it's perfect in terms of uh, keeping salaries low, but you got to find a way to increase eyeballs. And that's why we're hearing all this expansion talk right now, isn't it? Just to get that money flowing from uh, a bonus source, isn't it? Uh, to you know, I, mean, I, I can't believe we're talking expansion again. Well, it's not even so much the bonus source. It's that, any new team that would come in, we're talking a billion dollar entrance fee. Mm -hmm. Who's saying no to that? The players get 30, if it's one team, 30 to 62 teams, new jobs. The owners, each guy with a seat at the table already, they just cut you a check for 30 million just for nodding your head. Yep. And then the TV partners and everyone else, you get fresh eyeballs and people in new markets spending money. It's, it's a win, 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 except when you start to consider the probability or possibility of the game and the talent level being watered down a bit. Uh, lastly, Frank Canucks announced yesterday that Stan Smeal is taking a step back and retiring after 45 years with the franchise. He's sort of Mr. Canuck around here, the original number retired. Uh, a thought or two about Stan and his career here in Vancouver. So this is going to sound funny, but the first thing I think of is that he is a first ballot Hall of Fame nickname, the steamer. I mean, it doesn't, does it get any better than that? Honestly, it's pretty good. Oh, it's outstanding. Uh, second thing I think of is all class. I've never heard. And, you know, this is a caddy business. I always say it's the world's smallest $6 billion industry. Everyone kind of knows everyone. And, you know, the people that people like and don't like. And I've never heard anyone say a bad word about Stan Smeal. All class. And third, I think 45 years consecutively with one franchise is an incredible feat. Even some of the most amazing dyed-in-the-wool franchise players in so many other markets have had a stay somewhere else, whether it's Patrick Kane leaving the Chicago Blackhawks or Bobby Clark, the face of the Flyers and GM, going to be the GM of the Florida Panthers. Like There are weird little hiccups and instances 
across multiple ownership changes and regimes in Vancouver where he was there. He's the one constant. And so I think that's an incredible feather in his cap, the loyalty and and pride that he's had in being a Canuck for 45 years, 1978 to 2023. It's yeah. a long time. L- let's get your vote on the poll question. Is there a Stan Smeal on the current team? In terms of a lifer? No, in terms of just what he brought to the ice. Heart, uh, and, soul. heart and soul kind of a player. Um, No one really jumps out at me. I got to be honest. <laughs> yeah, and that's uh. that's probably pretty problematic. You would want someone to be that sort of like, like, the closest guy you guys have to it is uh, is is your coach, and I would say the next closest guy, which is still to be determined this year in terms of his impact, is probably Teddy Bluger, and Ian Cole could have a little bit of that as well. Mm-hmm. But two yeah, newcomers, they- which tells you that they didn't have enough the last few years, and I've been saying it for a while: the Canucks have been soft; they've been too easy to play against. That mm-hmm. has to change. And uh, not necessarily sure they have an identity. We'll see what talk it brings. We'll also see what Captain Quinn Hughes brings this season and whether he steps into that breach. How great Frank is it going to be when we don't have to talk preview anymore? Next yeah, week. No, exactly. This is the exactly. last one. This, this is, is the, the last one. Last preview piece. Next Friday, we'll have a game in the books, Frank. We'll be looking forward to another game and uh, look forward to it already. Thanks for this, my friend. Have a good one, guys. Pretty spooky music here coming up to Halloween. Found a new album. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Dug in the crates. Is this Mob Deep? Scarce <laughs> <laughs> Price. From Wall Center Presentation, Apple at Auto Group. Hashtags best and worst of Twitter.com. Brought to you by Jason Hominick. Jason.mortgage. If you have a great rate on mortgage, but still need equity out of your house, Jason has a solution where you keep your great rate, you access that equity without touching your existing mortgage. If your mortgage is up in the next six months, now is the time to reach out. Find them at jason.mortgage. At FOS, ESPN's creating an NHL version of NFL Red Zone called Frozen Frenzy. It launches October the 24th on ESPN2 when all 32 teams are in action, hosted by John Bucci-Gross. Fans will see every goal, every power play, and every hit they announced this a couple days ago. Um, it's uh, it, it sounds like a fun I, I, day. It's I'm, not going to be every day, but it's, it's it's a day. It's only one day. I'm having a little trouble sort of understanding every hit. Yeah, I think that's just a thing they said. I don't know. Every. Yeah, I, I, I'm not taking that too literally. So, like, are they going on the fly live to power place? Yep. Is that... As, as 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 much as they can, I don't it, even. It just doesn't work as well in hockey. It's harder to predict a score. Well, it's also um, there'll be more games happening. Yeah, uh, presumably. Like I don't know if they're going to have them spread out at the rate that NFL games are spread out. And generally, thirty all thirty two NFL teams don't play at the same time either. So mm-hmm. it's going to be interesting. Again, might as well try it. This next one just it has me shook because we're out of the pandemic. This is the second full 82 game out of the pandemic, no sort of lingering issues. When do you think the last day is for the Stanley Cup presentation this season? The latest it could be if the series goes 7 games. Should be June 17th. Grady? Mm, June 20th. How about June 24th? Oh. No. 
So then the draft. Immediately after. Pretty much immediately. Yeah. Congratulations. You won the Stanley Cup. Here's your parade on the 26th. And on the 27th, you're non-tendered. Or you're dealt at the draft. So June 24th is what day of the week? That's a Monday. Mm -hmm. Monday. So are we talking the draft that Friday? Yeah. I haven't looked that up, actually. The draft was Wednesday, Thursday this year, or Thursday, Friday? No, it was Friday, remember? Friday. Friday, Saturday? Oh, sorry. No, it was wasn't. Thursday. Yes. It's Wednesday, Thursday, That's or Thursday, right. Friday. No, it was, it was, uh, I think it might have been Wednesday, Thursday. It was weird, but. They actually haven't announced dates for the draft yet. They haven't announced dates. Wow. It was 28-29, which was a Friday, Saturday. Right. This year? No. It's normally Friday, Saturday. And this year was something different. Nope. 28, 29. Yeah, it was the 28th, 29th. Hmm. Anyways, at Pierre v. LeBron, second week of October feels too late to uh, uh, too late a start to me. Last possible day for the Cup being awarded June 24th. As I've said many times, shorten camp, start the regular season around the 20th September, award the Cup by May 31st. 28th and like, 29th of this year was Wednesday, Thursday. Thursday. Yes, there we go. The NBA doesn't start for two weeks yet. And we'll be done. I was looking at July. My bad. <laughs> Put you on ease and O's. Yeah. Yeah, too late. Way too late. Let, let's let's do fewer preseason games. Calgary played eight season is playing eight preseason games this year. Yeah, that's crazy too. No, one's a split squad, so it's seven nights, but that that's too many. Let's do five preseason games. Let's start the season earlier or make sure we're starting. October third, Oct- like we, we've seen opening night on October no. the third before, should always be the first few days of October. Yeah, if not September, as Pierre says, like this is a week late, and as a result, there's there's your week right there. Is it's it normally June seventeenth? The, the Canucks' famous game sevens were sixteenth, June sixteenth, was it? What's the, 15th, what's the documentary? Fifteenth, yeah. So like you're effectively there if you take away this week. It's crazy. Uh, at SI Golf, Davis Love the Third says Tiger Woods will be the 2025 U.S. Ryder Cup captain, quote unquote, oh. if he wants. Yeah, I think he wants. I think he wants yeah. to. Yeah, and I think by two years from now he will have played so little golf that it'll be good for Tiger Inc. It's right, keeps the brand alive and gives him that that appreciate the competitive Plus, appreciation. I honestly think he likes hanging out with the guys because you've got a class of players now on the PGA Tour who idolize him, mm-hmm. right? Um, so I think he likes being sort of the older Earl-like figure with the younger guys. And um, I also think he's, uh, obviously his father was in the military. I think he's quite patriotic. And I think it'll be good for the event. And, and he, of course, Nicholas did it and Watson, like, so all the greats have have filled this role, and, and Tiger's clearly one of the greats. And he can get fiery. It'll be fun. Well, yeah. And... Also, I think Tiger would like the exercise of analyzing guys over a couple of years mm-hmm. and coming down to his captain's picks. He loves the analytics of golf. He loves the, you know, what you know, he's, he likes the student of the game. Yeah, it's great. Mm-hmm. At TSN Hockey, Calgary's mayor says the preliminary deal announced in April for a new $1.2 billion event center and entertainment district has been finalized, including a new arena for the Flames opening in 2027. So four more years of that knee-buckling media catwalk. <laughs> this is the top, the saddle dome, how you get to press row through a 
Four more years. Four more years. Can you imagine how embarrassing the Saddle Dome is going to be in three years? When you stop caring about it, like these are the worst years here, is that we're not going to put significant money into X, Y, and Z because we're getting out of this thing. It's coming to the ground. So what is it going to look like in year three and four? Whew. Well, you've got two really embarrassing buildings right now in the NHL. You have whatever arena the Coyotes are playing in. Right. What's its name again? I don't even remember. Mullet. Mullet. And you have the Saddle Dome. Yeah. And considering it's a like, cap Which team, is kind of like the Oakland Coliseum. It like, is. It's yeah. the Oakland Coliseum of the NHL. Complete with a flood. Like it yeah. had a flood. The Oakland Coliseum had a sewage rupture. I'm sure the rats are not a good situation in the Saddle Dome, given how old it is. Alberta, I believe, will tell you they have no rats. Oh, that's right. It's rat-free. Right. Put you on ease and O's. Boy, you guys are that. filling up the sheet here. <laughs> Speaking of errors and omissions. Somebody's got to do it. Speaking of errors and omissions, how many are going to be on October the 22nd at WHL Giants? <whistles> Referee Appreciation Night. Special jersey reveal. Giants do this every year. The Giants will be wearing black and white striped jerseys for our game on October 22nd to acknowledge and show support for all the great officials in our game. Mm-hmm. Shouldn't take long. They're- I'm surprised the WHL let them get away with unis that are so similar. I mean, folks, they are. They're just referee jerseys. I'm going to guess the rest were something else that night. They have to. They um, have to. Otherwise, somebody's getting pasted. Right. But, <laughs> you know, even then, it's a great psychological tactic against the opposition because they have to get their eyes right, so to speak. Yeah, you're, you're so ingrained like, to oh, avoid the guy in the I stripes. can throw it up those boards because there's a linesman there and whatever. And He'll get it no, away. No, that's yeah. the left winger. Yeah. It will be a little weird. Oh, for sure. Yeah, it will be a little bit weird. The other thing is, is the other problem with this idea is that the Giants usually do these so that they'll get some sales out of it. Who's going to buy this jersey? Yeah. It, it, like That's part of the hook here. You do a fun jersey, and mm. you get fans to buy it because it's fun. No one's buying a ref jersey. You don't think so? Refs no. are buying the ref jersey. Although it's an interesting political we move. We should get you one for S versus P. Put you in the ref jersey. It's an interesting political move given this BCHL decision, and there is a bit of a referee story there about oh. you know the refs aren't allowed to move from the BCHL to WHL or down to minor hockey because if you're outside of Hockey Canada, you're kind of uh, persona non grata. So there is a referee story in BC right now. I was communicating with our friend Caden Fanshaw, a former Securison Price intern who's doing great work up at CKPG in Prince George as a reporter. Knowing that he's a certified referee and they refer that he officiates a lot of a lot of games, and I said, "So, what's it like now? Where you know, in a smaller community, you can't work the WHL and the BCHL. And PG's got BCHL and, and he says, WHL. Well, it's, it's really hurting the officials up here because, from a financial standpoint, you sort of counted on a next number of WHL games, triple next number of yeah. BCHL games." Um, so a lot of the officials who work the WHL are now supplementing uh, supplementing with AAA or senior hockey games, and they're being asked to go further and further to officiate these games from a travel point of view, which, of course, is not always ideal or financially makes sense 
you know, when you're asked going when you're asked to go to 100 mile, like it's a four hour drive. That's in the dead of summer. Like in the winter, who knows? Conversely, the local BCHL guys and they've can't... apparently they only have two BCHL guys who can. So basically, the Spruce Kings have, have the same officials. Have in house officials, yes. And you know, teams are going to go up there and go, oh, these two guys again. Yeah. So no, it's uh, it's a bit of a, an officiating cluster there with what's happened with the BCHL split from Hockey Canada. Blake, as you know, I'm uh, partnered with an ex-volleyball player, and uh, we're often at Kitts Beach looking at all the volleyball, which is mm-hmm. really a great – it just amazes me um, every time I'm down there how good the volleyball is. Did you know our men's team is kicking ass right now at the qualifier? Canada on a roll at Volleyball World, getting closer to an Olympic spot. A 3-1 win over Bulgaria at the Paris 2024 qualifier. Their match tonight against Belgium is crucial. A win most likely qualifies them. They're 4-1 and one and in second place. This is indoor, to be clear. This quick. is indoor yeah. men's. Yeah. They're 4-1 and one and in second place in the pool of death, so to speak. Their only loss was a narrow one to world number one Poland. They've already beat world number six Argentina and world number 13 the Netherlands. And they've got Belgium tonight and winless Mexico Sunday. So on the verge of punching their ticket here to the Paris Olympics through a very difficult pool. And shout out to the three British Columbians, Landon Curry, Brody Hoffer, and Jordan Schnitzer. Hoffer from Langley, Schnitzer from Surrey, and Landon Curry from Coldstream, British Columbia. Have you noticed how much volleyball has crept into your Twitter stream? Like I've seen more viral clips of volleyball in the last 12 months than yeah, all of the no, years very combined. True. NCAA volleyball is exploding. They're, they're having, doing a better job of... of uh, well, they're doing these special events. They're doing volleyball games inside the football stadiums in some places. Mm-hmm. You know, putting tens of thousands of people in front of volleyball games. And we've talked about this really going back to the London Olympics, and it was true before then, but it's getting more and more pronounced. Take a look at the size of the athlete playing this sport now and it's fun it's a fun sport to watch it's it's so fast like every single guy looks like an nba post player now they're huge and it's sort of and like the vertical leap is out of this world and the women's game is it's sort of like tennis in that the women's game is is very very fast and great like it's 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 just as good as the men's game to watch. The speed of it is is incredible. Mm. So the women's game is getting a huge burst because it's as entertaining as the men. I used to do camera work at Guelph when I lived in Ontario, and I'd have to do volleyball games. And let me tell you, that was the toughest sport to try to film because that ball is moving so fast in and out of frame, and it's going up in the air, and you got to try to track that thing. It was it was impressive to see like the athletic, yeah, you know, needs to do well in that sport. I, I just can't get over some of the digs. Like, that ball is coming at you at such a speed in a short distance and somehow, some way. The desperation you, pancake you, dig, too, on the floor. I love it. Get to it and control it. No, it's a, it, extraordinary stuff. Go Canada. And that marks the longest volleyball conversation we've ever uh, had on Securus and Press. Um, <laughs> yeah, you could say that, and that's <laughs> hashtags for today. Joined now in studio by Rinkwide's Jeff Patterson, Canucks reporter, and doing the game tonight, Jeff. Well, 
you're from Rogers Arena, and the big question, dress rehearsal or still experimenting in the final game of preseason? Yeah, I don't think you're ever going to get a coach, and Rick Tockett certainly wouldn't cop to this being his opening night lineup. So I think coaches want to leave themselves a little wriggle room, but I, I think we can also deduce that Look, the right side with Elias Pettersson and Andre Kuzmenko. It was Nils Hoaglander a couple of weeks ago in Victoria. They've tried Anthony Beauvillier there. Pettersson obviously has been ill for some of this week, so he hasn't played since last Saturday against the Oilers. But great opportunity for Connor Garland to leave a lasting impression on the final night of the preseason. And again, you know, Hoaglander, we've talked about Pud Colson to death, but Hoaglander is still on the roster, but uh, there's been a bit of a fall here, obviously, for him to go from the right side with Pedersen and Kuzmenko at training camp in the first preseason game to being the odd man out. They've got 13 healthy forwards. Ilya Mikheyev on the ice of the morning skate again continues to make progress and get closer, but don't think he's going to be ready for next Wednesday. So somebody had to sit, and it's going to be Niels Hoaglander uh, based on the morning skate. Will Hoaglander be that guy again as a healthy scratch on Wednesday when they open against the Oilers? Rick Tockett said, look, Hoaglander's going to play for us. He will play. So it certainly sounds like he's going to make this team out of camp here. But, uh, yeah, I mean, still trying to figure out exactly uh, what he brings. Where does he slot in? You know, the other guy's Beauvillier, who yep. in a contract year for him, you would have thought that he would have done a little bit more in the preseason, but he's been remarkably quiet. And it certainly looks like he's going to start in a third line capacity, which is a bit of a drop compared to where he was after the trade last year. Yeah, pretty surprised, uh, pretty surprised with that. And uh, just because a little bit of the size there with Suter, who's also a smaller guy, but they got jo- uh, Dakota Joshua on the other wing, wing. You know, the big one for me is finally Hughes Roenick. What's your interpretation there? Yeah, I think that uh, they want to see what that looks like, and that can be a supercharged pair for them. I, you know, it's preseason, so you hope that they don't run them out there uh, 28 minutes, but certainly that has the capacity in some games if they do play that way. But it's moving the chess pieces around. And Noah Juleson, who had a tough night in Calgary and that 10 nothing slaughter, and, and again, you don't want to take an awful lot out of that, but... You know, Juleson starts training camp with Quinn Hughes, then has a tough night in Calgary, kind of becomes a forgotten man. And yet, if we're trying to read into the way that the Canucks were lining up at their morning skate, looks like Noah Juleson is back in the top six. And Christian Wolanin was skating uh, with Cole McWard. And so Cole McWard's been flavor of the week, obviously. But when it gets down to brass tacks, maybe Cole McWard makes this team, but uh, won't be in the opening night lineup. They they still have decisions to make, right? They've got to figure out if they're going to carry two extra forwards or one extra forward and a couple extra defensemen. Uh, McKay's health factors into all of that as well. But here we are, final day or night of the preseason. Still, kind yeah. of feels like there's a lot of moving parts here for well, the talk. What, what about the timing? What like what, why why is it coming to this? Why is it coming to the last game before we see grand change? Why wouldn't Tockett have tried this in one of the previous two matches. Well, and the one thing that he hasn't tried that we've talked about an awful lot is Quinn Hughes and Ian Cole. And Ian Cole the other day out at UBC almost sounded like he was lobbying for, talked about how comfortable he was on the right right. side and how much time in this league that he's spent over on the right. And it's just something that they, not a practice, not a game, uh, haven't gone down that road at all. So, look, Tockett hasn't been thrilled with what he has seen. He's talked a lot about how he likes the fact that guys are grasping concepts. He, he, he's been happy with some of the practices, but the fact that they haven't scored a lot of goals, the guys haven't been going to the greasy parts of the ice. Like, this is a guy that's all about, you know, battling for every inch out there. And he talked about it again 
uh, this morning after the morning skate that some guys have to get a little more uncomfortable in his words. And that is there's a price to pay to go to the middle of the ice and to the front of the net. You're going to take a beating there, but that is where the bulk of the goals are scored. Uh, as for the defense combos, yeah, I, I don't really have an answer for you, but I guess I am a little surprised that it feels like it is still part of the audition period. But when the final buzzer sounds tonight, like that's it. They'll have a couple of practices, but no more game action to make more evaluations about the way that they want to start here. And of course, they start against McDavid and Dreisaitl, uh Not once, but twice. You'd think you'd like to have your ducks in a row when it comes to uh, lining up and trying to defend two of the best players in the National Hockey League. Just on Hughes Fronick. Does it smack of desperation to you? And we've had a couple of listeners this week wonder, is Tockett sort of messaging upstairs on this defense business committee and now finally going to use Ronick that, guys, we ain't there yet. We need another one. Well, I mean, we're seeing a lot of players on waivers, and we're going to see more here over the weekend as teams have to get down to their 23-man roster. So I, I think the Canucks, they're not doing their job. I mean, they're not doing their due diligence if they're not scouring the waiver wire every day. Now, they haven't added to the collection, but they may have their eyes on some guys that are going to have trouble getting through waivers in other markets. And so the fact that Cole McWard has remained here and has been an option for them, you know, if there's an upgrade out there, they have to jump at it. So I don't know if it's messaging. I can understand if people are sort of looking at it that way. I wouldn't, desperation seems too strong a word to use in the preseason. Uh, You know, if they go through, if they get lit up by the Oilers here and all of a sudden they go to that in game three, uh, then, yeah, maybe uh, there's a little more desperation. But I, I, I do think that it is the time to experiment, and uh, we'll see. I mean, I, I've been impressed with Philip Peronik, quite frankly. Um, again, the team hasn't scored a lot of goals, so there hasn't been much to see offensively in the preseason, and I've found myself drawn to watching him when he's been in uniform the other night in Abbotsford. I thought uh, he was strong on defense for the Vancouver He's Canucks. good. They've seen another one of them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Can you make two, well, please? they come at a steep price, Blake, as yes. you may recall. Yes, they do. Uh, but I thought the game in Seattle, where the Canucks got outplayed badly, and yet that pairing of Cole and, and Hironic that night tilted the ice. Like Their shifts were spent up ice and not defending. And so I think Philip Hironic, uh again, they, they did. They paid a pretty, a pretty price to go get him. Uh, you would want to believe that a uh, 25-year-old right-shot defenseman was right in their wheelhouse. And so it's still early days because he only played those four games last season and clearly wasn't fully healthy when he did. But uh, kind of quietly, uh, I, I've been impressed with his preseason to this point. So we'll see what he looks like getting the opportunity to play with Quinn Hughes. Power plays, no surprise, I don't think, for anybody personnel-wise for PP1. Um Power play two had some surprises with Jack Stadnika getting a look there. Um, is there some hope that they will be able to make something of that second unit? Yeah. I mean, the, the joke at the rink this morning was uh, it's been the autumn of Jack Stadnika. Yeah, it has. It, it, it's coincided with the fall of Nils Hoaglander, unfortunately. But there have been practices here where if Hoaglander was in, they would run a four-forward set on the second power play unit. If Hoaglander wasn't, then Christian Willannon, and they would go with two defensemen. Well, in this game, it looks like Hoaglander and Willannon are both not going to play. And so, good for Jack Stadnik. He's done what you want. Uh, he's been sort of the do-something guy here through camp in the preseason. But I think we had this discussion. Like, it's not enough just to be in the lineup. Like there has to be some sort of bottom line. And I just don't know that there's a, a bottom line for a guy like Jack Stanika. And the fact that he's on the second unit tells you that it gets pretty thin, pretty quickly for the Vancouver Canucks offensively when it comes to uh, 
the forwards that they've got out there, they've got Garland, they've got uh, Beauvillier, uh, Pia Suter is a center, and so he's out there primarily to take draws if the second unit ever takes face-offs. And then you go to you know, Jack Stanika is your next best option. I know he was a high scorer in junior, but so many of these guys were. He doesn't profile that way as a pro and in the National Hockey League. But uh, again, he's done enough to get the attention of the coaches and clearly to get a little sugar here with uh, an opportunity on a on an NHL power play. Is there a uh, is there any other red flags or green flags that you see in the lineup when you look at it right now? Uh I mean, the goal scoring has been an issue, and not just the depth guys. Like I said, Bovillier, he's been remarkably quiet. Uh, you know, Brock Besser had the four assist night when the Canucks mm-hmm. were going against a McDavid and Drysidle's Oiler team, but really haven't noticed Brock an awful lot as the goal scorer that people still want him to be, and maybe that ship has sailed. JT Miller, it's preseason. He laughed today when somebody asked him, like, you know, yeah, you're ready to go, and he said, oh, yeah, like three games. Three preseason games, that's plenty for me. I think it's been a pretty quiet preseason for for JT Miller, uh, but we know that it doesn't take much to get his motor running. So he'll be ready to go on Wednesday night in that capacity as a defensive. Like, Is he going to get the matchup against McDavid? You know, we don't know yet. Uh, they're f- facing the Flames tonight. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think there are still concerns. I, I think there's optimism that, you know, there are new pieces here, and they're learning the systems and the structure. Uh, I think yeah, suter has been pretty decent. Teddy Luger had the nice night in Edmonton. Uh, but, again, you look around the division, and it's just so hard to figure out a, a path for the Canucks to climb past 400-point teams. And then you've got their opponents tonight, the Calgary Flames. Nobody really knows what to make with new management there and a new coach and just a, a breath of fresh air with uh, Daryl Sutter behind the bench. So, uh, I think it's going to be difficult for the Canucks. We won't get into season predictions just yet. We can do that next week. But um, I, I would just, given the fact that they have just a one win in five preseason games, they don't have to win this game tonight. The, the world doesn't change if they win or lose, but they're icing their best lineup. I hope that the procedure, the way that they play, looks a, a lot more like it did last Saturday when their top guys were going and Quinn Hughes was so dynamic. You know, if their top guys kind of stub their toe here tonight, again, it just it, it's not putting your best foot forward with opening night and and just all the talk of the importance of the start and knowing the schedule and out on the road for five after the the first one at home. I just like to see them feel a little bit better about themselves going into the regular season. Well, that, that, that's what I yeah. said. That's what I said. It looked like a real hockey yeah. team tonight. Hey, and if this team has started October's well recently, you could poo-poo the preseason away easily. But given the way that they've started seasons, I don't think you can be that confident in just saying preseason doesn't matter. The process at the very least, if not the results. Well, I laughed because Connor Garland uh, was one of the guys that was available after the morning skate. And, and somebody asked him just about uh, what are you looking for in a game like this one? And he just said like, you know, it's time to put summer hockey behind us. Like, and good line. Thought, yeah, no, I thought like that's these veteran guys. They know that the preseason is a necessary evil, and the intensity isn't where it needs to be. But uh, it kind of felt like, all right, with one to go, close the door on summer hockey and start mm-hmm. playing. Well, guys, we warned we warned teams yeah. about this about flicking the switch for playoff right. hockey. Like, oh, if you're going to coast into the playoffs, well, you better be sure that you got a firm grip of the switch because it's hard mm-hmm. to turn. Same thing with this. Like, make sure you know where that switch is. It's hard to flick it on. 
Switching gears, Jeff, we uh, all celebrate the retirement here of Stan Smeal, a guy we all have personal relationships with and a guy who's been a stalwart for this franchise for nearly a half century. We're asking on our Bodog poll question, do they have a heart and soul player like Stan on the team right now? Uh, player, not necessarily. The guy behind the bench, uh, I think you can draw yeah. some <laughs> some through lines. And, of course, their careers overlapped. And, and Rick was asked about Stan Smeal and, and just said he was one of the first guys when he arrived that, you know, said, my ear or my door is open. You've got my ear if you need anything. And I'm not surprised to hear that. that that's the Stan Smeal that I know and I think most people know. And, you know, I tweeted out uh, just a quick story with all the access issues last year. You know, when I got uh, back into the building and was with the Hockey News late last season, as the game was ending and everybody was making a beeline for the elevators, like Stan came out of his way and came over, shook my hand, said, hey, congratulations, welcome back, uh, You know, which indicated to me that, A, he knew uh, the story, that uh, mm-hmm. the, the struggles that we had gone through last year to get into that building on some nights, and also... I just thought uh, like that to me spoke volumes about uh, the man himself and it's 45 years in any business, any line of work with the same organization. You know, Rick Tockett kind of laughed about that when he said like, I've you know played everywhere. I've coached a bunch of places 45 years with the same organization. So uh, Rick said that he hopes that Stan's not a stranger. He told him that uh, anytime that uh, he wants or needs anything, uh, Rick is there for him. So uh you know, a heart and soul player. Yeah, I, I think the search continues. You know, you, you want to believe that a, a Dakota Joshua, uh, after being challenged by the coach, I, I think has upped his game a little bit. But he's he's certainly not in the Stan Smeal category or the discussion. But I, I think given the personnel that they've got, you know, JT Miller's probably the closest that they have, I would think, just in terms of a guy that uh, you know, wears his heart on his sleeve, plays the physical. And then that was the beauty of Stan as a player. I mean... You know, played so hard, wanted to run you out of the rink physically, but also had enough skill to, you know, dance around you and score goals, led this team in points and penalty minutes uh, for a couple of seasons. Um, yeah, I mean, the Canucks as an organization would uh, do well before Stan actually, like, walks out the door just to, uh, you know, point to him as uh, a guy that uh, they should take some inspiration from in the way that he played. I know the game has changed, obviously, over the years, but, uh, boy. They could use a Stan Smeal. You know, it's funny. When I sort of do something became a catchphrase or a buzzword, you know, Stan was one of those guys that I always thought of because, like, he must sit and watch these preseason games now where nobody stands out. Nobody's trying to, you know, just take the body every shift. And it must be difficult for him to yeah. watch, knowing the way that he played, the way that he kind of burst onto the scene and – they don't, uh, yeah. They don't make them like that anymore. Not many that are cut from the the Stan Smeal cloth. The game has changed, yep. uh, Jeff. We thank you for your time here today. We have to uh, cut the interview a little bit shorter here because Matt is trying to destroy the studio. Uh, <laughs> I repaired that on the fly. <laughs> As a matter of fact, that thumping noise you heard eh, parts of my microphone. Pay no attention. Host slash engineer. Absolutely. <laughs> Thanks, Jeff. True we'll broadcasting pro. See you on rink. Do you see how quickly I turned it off, Grady, and then went about fixing it? Oh, what again? a pro. What a yeah. pro. Here's some price from Wall Center presentation, Applewood Auto Group. And 
We have reached S versus P, our weekly debate segment. Presentation of La Una 1611, BC, BC's Laborers Union. They have contractors looking for their members to hire today. Check out 1611.ca. La Una 1611 has your back. And like a story is emerging here after a slow start. A story is emerging. Yeah, from it's, yours it's truly. being covered by all the media, yeah. Uh, I'm on quite a roll now. This is three consecutive wins mm. to bring the record to 5-7-3. and three. I'm starting to feel a little bit like my Chicago Bears. Okay, bad start, but we've got this. Watch out, did NFC. Did you celebrate like the Bears Watch did? out, Blake Price. Uh, last week, the question was, should Vasily Podkolson start the season on the Canucks roster? I argued no. You argued yes. And uh, people are so negative. 70% on Twitter sided with me, and then YouTube was just a demolition, 24 to 5. What's happened? So, this week, who will be the Canucks MVP, defined as the Cyclone Taylor Trophy winner, voted on by the fans, presented every year, this season? I will be arguing on behalf of Thatcher Demko. Blake will be arguing on behalf of Quinn Hughes. Mm. So Elias doesn't make the cut here. No, nope. Somebody either. had to end up on the cutting room floor here. Yeah, it's yeah. true. Uh, two minutes each per argument. And a reminder for those who will be voting on Twitter or YouTube, we ask you to evaluate who made the better arguments, not necessarily vote your opinion here. You're like a jury. Mediator Grady Sass presiding. And... Um, I'm going to go first. Mm, okay. Yeah, I want the ball. We're going to score. <laughs> oh, <laughs> All right, Matt. All right. Your two minutes starts now. Goaltender is the most important position generally, but particularly so for the Vancouver Canucks. As we know, this isn't a complete team in front of them. This isn't a robust defensive team in front of them. Now, Tockett could change that in time, but in the interim... They're going to need Thatcher Demko to be great, just as he was a couple of seasons ago, his last injury-free season, when he, he won this trophy. And as we know, the Canucks have some terrific skaters who will score, Elias Pettersson, J.T. Miller, Andre Kuzmenko, Quinn Hughes. So they have some buffer around them. They have some insurance. They have some support. Reduces the requirement for them to be as great and makes it more difficult to isolate a skater. As club MVP. We've seen this before with the Cyclone Taylor Trophy. Past winners include, well, as mentioned, Demko a couple years ago. Markstrom, Luongo, and Richard Brodeur all went back-to-back in this award. But then there are even guys like Alex Ald and Corey Schneider, who were far from the best players on their individual teams. You had Naslin, you had the Sedins with them, but they had outsized effects on an individual season. And I think the same is going to hold true this year with Thatcher Demko. He was tracking as a top 10, even top 5 goaltender in the league before he got hurt last year. Our friend Frank, our friend Frank Saravelli has picked him to win the Vezina this year. And you will see a lot of Vezina love for Thatcher Demko in some of these early preseason predictions. Nobody would be surprised if he had his best season to date. He's come to that time where he's old enough, mature enough, has enough experience, and of course... 
has a catalog of NHL success. He's going to play a lot. He's going to steal games. He's going to get them points on nights when maybe the others around him aren't at their best. He's a franchise goalie in a sport where the position can have an outsized influence. Plus, it's a fan vote. They voted Patterson last year. I think they'll want to go Demko this year. A couple seconds over the allotted time, I will remind you, Mediator Sass, that I have left a lot of time on the table in the previous week. Oh, is that how it worked? I didn't know that you could bank time. No, 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 no. I got called out last week in the inbox for not being the proper mediator that I'm supposed to be. This week I'm clamping down. That will not be tolerated in my courtroom. Thank you. Blake, are you ready to go? Uh, of course. You have a courtroom. You have a boardroom. You're a mediator. <laughs> You're not a judge. Hey, I'm working my way up. Blake, yep. your two minutes starts now. Because of the fan voting side of this, it's a little like predicting an election here, folks. You're not necessarily saying who the best candidate is, but who will present as the best candidate. And how does the current climate affect those perceptions, right? Sound familiar watching the news? Anyhow, what are the perceptions of this team? And if those change, who will get the credit? The perception is this team can score, but it cannot defend. And if the goals against change this season, two guys will get the most credit. And it's the two guys we focus on today, Thatcher Demko and Quinn Hughes. Except that Demko is expected to defend. He's the damn goalie. It's his only MO. Stop goals. Not so for Quinn Hughes. It's only part of his marching orders. And to this point in his career, it's not been a big part of his reputation. But this year, Hughes will likely set a career high in minutes. Just watch. And if the Canucks can lower their goals against, the man wearing the C will be the guy showered in praise. It will go against what we've seen so far. And make no mistake, that letter will be a big part of it. The public sentiment with a better team and a team that is as close to playoff viability as they've been in the last eight years, that love-in will be a tidal wave that Quinn Hughes serves on the most. Matt listed the trophy winners in the past. Not many defensemen on that list. Canuck fans have been waiting for this moment, waiting for this kind of player, waiting for this performance. Hughes will play more, he'll talk more, be seen more than any other player this season. You will not escape the lovable Huggy Bear. He will be a landslide winner of the Canucks MVP award, and uh, as a result, Elias Pettersson might have the quietest 100-point season in Canucks history until contract time. Quinn Hughes will be your Cyclone Taylor award winner. Mm. Interesting that he's asking the jury to buy landslide. Interesting that he stayed within the time limit, unlike you. you. Thank you. Mediator Sass. All right, there you have it, everybody. You can uh, vote. Uh, We ask you, of course, to subscribe on YouTube if you haven't already. Three-game winning streak and uh, hoping to make it four. Need your support. MVPD. S versus P, a presentation of Lyuna 1611. BC Laborers Union. Check out 1611.ca. Lyuna has your back. Some price from Wall Center presentation Applewood Auto Group. You can text us 778 402 9680. It's the Great Clips text message inbox. Great Clips. It's going to be great. Was that a Friday? It's going to be great. Yeah, yeah it's sort of like that. 
You pumped up? I got am. Got a big weekend ahead? Uh, yeah, I'm uh, you know, working on the Lions game, working on the Caps game. It's mm-hmm. going uh, to be a fun weekend. Bodog poll question results from yesterday. Does the Canucks preseason record 1-3-1 and one concern you? And uh, yes or no, what won the poll? Um, no won the poll. Correct. Percentage? 70. Uh, pretty good. 68 and a half. Mm-hmm. Chris, they look slow, and personally, I'm not a fan of Chris. Of Tockett's dump and chase style, they're not fast enough to retrieve the puck, nor are they big enough to punish the opposing D-man. Well, that might be true. That still might be a good enough team to get you to 93 mm-hmm. points, though. So, uh, Hassan from Burnaby, results don't matter to me, but the process has looked less than stellar, and the lack of legit options to play with Hughes plus PDG in the top six is very concerning. Yeah, I think it's fair, fair too. That's fair. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mike says no. Their inability to find a proper partner for Hughes does, though. So does their track record the past decade. This franchise doesn't inspire any confidence in their owner. Might be the worst in the league. Team has to prove it's different before they get any benefit. We've heard a lot of that. And then Chuck says no, but the roster does. Yeah. Errors and omissions from yesterday's program. I have one, self-reporting. In all the talk of the additions to the Canadian men's national team coaching staff in the post-John Herdman era, we talked about how the York University coach has been added, about how Paul Stalteri has been added, about how Stephen Caldwell of TSN has been added. Uh, Mauro Biello is, in fact, the interim head coach, lest anyone be confused yeah. by our discussion about it. None of those are stepping in, and there's no committee here. There is an interim head coach, and we'll see how he does. No Ali Ahmed, by the way, and I don't know that Danny's super pleased that Ali Ahmed was looked over for this squad. I oh, think, really? Yeah, I think he wanted Ali on the team. Well, he's got three of his guys there, right? Kube yeah. Larea and Junior. Yeah, Vanny's made no bones about it, by the way. He wants every single player to be with their respective national teams. He thinks it's only good for the team. And makes sense for a guy who is as worldly as It's extra training. It's extra reps. It's Mm -hmm. uh, playing with usually a good quality of of teammate, too. It's it's helpful. Mm -hmm. He's lived in a number of different countries. And how many languages is he up to? Parts of seven, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Last I checked, he was learning Japanese. Yes. Yeah, I think Yohei Takaoka inspired him. I think he was learning Japanese before a Japanese teacher came. As he'll tell you, he likes knowledge. He should be a a concert for the uh, Canadian team because they're going to Japan. Mm -hmm. You say concert, I think of him with Nickelback. (laughs) There's that too, yes. Bodog line of the daytime. He, speak, he speaks Nickelback. Make it eight languages. <laughs> Bodog line of the daytime with Blake Price. Bodog, your source, free casino games, poker strategy, sports odds. So you like what you got. I'll, I'll go to that game. That's uh, Sounders Whitecaps game. I'm expecting Junior Hoylet to start uh, as a bit of a rotation. Um, and with that, after Richie LaRay gets his first as a Whitecap, I'm going to go Hoylet as an anytime goal scorer plus 420. On your Bodog line of the day. Thanks for listening, everybody. A reminder, subscribe to us and Rinkwide wherever you get your podcasts. Please do follow on Twitter. That is TikTok, Insta, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. And, of course, support the community sponsors you hear us talking about. Keep it local.